Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, 1989's Three Feet High and Rising, the debut album from De La Soul. Micaiah, an album that I have been nominating for three years and we finally are doing it on the pod um one of my favorite hip-hop albums from my childhood um but one that has been very very hard to hear for the majority of my adult lifetime and i'm sure we'll talk about that some more but micaiah tell us a little bit about de la soul what do our listeners need to know all right yeah de la soul uh, three friends from Long Island. Uh, we got Maceo and we got Plug One and Plug Two, um, also known as Postanus, aka Pos. And we also have True Goy the Dove, of course, that's yogurt backwards, and also known as Dave. I mean, if you think MF Doom has a lot of names, these, these guys also are up there with just like the most amount of nicknames. Uh, and so what we're hearing is is their debut album that came out in 1989 but some of these tracks date back to 1986 when they were all in high school maceo dropped out of school or like missed his graduation his senior year to like keep doing day law stuff um and and they were talking about whether or not they you know pos wanted to go to college or maybe he should pursue music i mean like these are really young guys who are just kind of who love making music but are still just like like have young adult responsibilities of going to school and you know so in a lot of that that kind of juvenile nature is all over this record but they're always playing to the height of their intelligence making it one of the most unique and crafty and like singular kind of albums of its time you know and like you were saying uh it it's, it was hard to find and if you're a younger person you probably didn't haven't heard of this album until this march um because of sampling issues uh because of kind of in-house issues with tommy boy records um if you get the reissues they're not released by tommy boy anymore um you know so they're just hard to find so the the only way you could really hear these is if you go to a used record store a cd store or something and find a used copy of the cd or the tape or the record which is way harder to find um is you know so if you have those old cds that was kind of it for like 30 years you know and until this march when you know they they had a huge kind of celebration where they were able to get the De La Soul catalog onto streaming services and even more exciting, re-release them on physical media. That's tape, CD, vinyl, you know, so we are, you know, they're, they're kind of having their, their second act, you know, um, so more people and their songs are being used in, in movies. And now uh, magic numbers at the end of Spider-Man, uh, the, the Tom Holland, you know, MCU one during the end credits, the new Ninja Turtles movie has I Know also from this album. You know, so this is, you know, far and away their best-selling album. Uh, it has their their best-known single, Me, Myself, and I, 
there's plenty to talk about about you know that specific song uh, so we will certainly get into that and that video which is one of the most iconic videos of all time when music videos still mattered yeah and i will say i mean I'm really excited for an entire new generation of music lovers to really discover De La Soul because now that all of this stuff is available for streaming, I, I really am excited for the like 17 year old hip hop fan that gets to dive into their entire discography all at once. I mean, what a, what a treat that is. And, and listener, if you are not familiar with De La Soul, man, this is the perfect time. Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever it is you listen to your music, hop on and listen. Start with Three Feet High and Rising and go all the way through. But I'll tell you that Three Feet High and Rising to Stakes is High Run. Um, those four albums, 1989 to 1996, such a strong demonstration of this group uh, especially those first three albums and Prince Paul, their producer. Uh, I mean, there's just so much uh, to love uh, about those four albums, especially, but their whole discography as well. Well, let's, without further ado, let's get into it. Rob, do you want to tell everyone who are our guest is today? Yeah, I mean, we're really lucky. I mean, today's guest is someone who um, is, the, is at that perfect age. You know, we have often talked about how the music you love has more to do with how old you were when you heard it than really anything kind of qualitative about the music itself. That if you're at a certain age, when you're exposed to the right music, you're just going to love it forever. And our guest today was exposed to De La Soul at the perfect time in his life. And he is Carvel Wallace and Carvel has written for everyone uh new york times new yorker magazine gq uh, uh source spin i mean like you, you uh slate pitchfork, slate pitchfork i mean you name it he has written for them he has co-written books um he has done award-winning podcasts he is currently uh one of the contributing members of slate's how to podcast and you can hear him on that regularly uh, and I'm so excited to talk De La Soul with Carvel Wallace. So why don't we take a break? We're going to let you hear from our sponsors, Mirror Coffee Roasters and Spotify for Podcasters. And we'll be back with our guest, Carvel Wallace. Listeners, you've heard me talk about them all season. And I can't say enough good things about Mirror Coffee Roasters and I have with me the brothers and co-owners of Mirror Coffee Roasters, Sergey and Mark Katrovsky. Guys, I've been saying it all season long. Tell us, tell our listeners about Mirror Coffee Roasters and what makes your coffee so dang good. I'm so stoked that you've been enjoying Mirror Coffee Roasters and some of the coffees that we sent your way. Um, basically... I guess the whole ethos of Mirror has been we want to use coffee as a way to share the stories of the whole supply chain. And why is that important is because the supply chain is across the whole globe. So it's basically sharing the stories of the world through the eyes of coffee and at the same time bring a coffee that is 
absolutely superb. So it's pairing like great storytelling with an excellent craft. Um, we are both from the background of uh, photography and cinematography. So hence, um, capturing stories through photography and cinematography is our natural, very natural essence of who we are as creatives. Uh, but then at the same time, we've went on this coffee journey that's completely changed our lives and how we experience the very common beverage that I'm assuming we'll talk about later. So starting a roasting company became just kind of the natural outflow of these two passions and merging the two together. Um, and as we continue talking about the topic of sustainability and coffee, um, we realized that to make positive and uh, transformational change, you have to share a story. And the whole essence of change is through storytelling. So yeah, that's that's kind of the main thing. A lot of things go into that. Um, a lot of uh, daily, uh, the daily grind or the daily, uh, um, the daily grungy work behind the roaster um, and dialing in coffees to make sure they taste as amazing as uh, the producers that we've met as those producers just being wonderful humans we want to use coffee as a means to reflect what we've um, experienced through that mirror coffee roasters is truly a story in every cup of coffee i want to encourage you to hop on their website mirrorcoffeeroasters.com hop on their website and pick up their coffee box today Unless your name's Brewster, cause Brewster's a punky. Parents let go, cause it's magic in the air. Criticizing rap shows you're out of order. Stop looking, listen to the phrase in front of stairs. And don't get offended while Mace Dosi does your daughter. A dry camera roll system is now set. Fly around the store under Daisy Productions. It stands for the inner sound, y'all, in your combat. That the action's not a trick, but show enough a function. Everybody wants to be a DJ. Everybody wants to be an MC. But being speakers are the best. And you don't have to guess. There are so posse, consist of three. And that's the magic number. This hit piece of the pie is not dessert, but the cost that we dine and three out of every darn time. The effect is mmm with a daisy rose in your mind. Showing true position, this here piece is kissing the part of the pie that's missing. Where that negative number fills up the casualty. Maybe you can subtract it. You can call it your lucky partner. Maybe you can call it your adjective. But odd as it may be, without my one and two, where would there be my three makes possible me? And that's the magic number. What does it all mean? Listeners, you have read his writing everywhere. Huffington Post, Slate, Pitchfork, New York Times, New York Magazine, GQ, The Guardian, The New Yorker, Esquire, ESPN. You have heard him on podcasts, including Slate's How To Podcast, 
Uh, he is an award-winning writer and podcaster. He is Carvel Wallace. Carvel, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Let's just start with a little bit of history. When did you first hear De La Soul? What was your first exposure to this group? And, and what has their music meant to you over your lifetime? Yeah, I mean, I am of the age where De La Soul hit like right in the pocket for me. Like I, I'll be I'm, I'll be 49 this year. So I think I was probably in ninth grade when Three Feet High and Rising dropped. So it was like you could not have a better age to like experience that album. Um, and so I remember like my first, my earliest members of De La Soul are hearing me, myself and I on the radio. Cause that was like a bona fide hit. And, um, and like we listened to rap and there weren't rap hits really then. I mean, you had, you had like license to ill, you had like your major label stuff, but, but most of the rap we listened to was like a hit among us, but was not like a radio hit in the larger sense, you know? And so we were used to like liking songs that like you you had to know someone who knew someone to get the tape or you ha- you know what I mean? You had to like find it in some corner of the record store or whatever. Um, but me, myself and I broke through in this very way, in this way that felt really unique to me, even at the time, because I was aware that this there was some there was this was an indie label release. I don't think I had the language for it. So like, I think that was just cool to me as a 14 year old that like oh you could just make something with your friends in the bedroom and it could like effectively go viral and the other memory i remember is me and my brother and cousin like in in my brother's my half brother's bedroom watching um the video for buddy and it was just so like funny and cool and interesting and we were just like whatever this is this is dope and like i don't know it's just like the probably in retrospect the video for three feet high and rising i mean the video for me myself and i is probably like my favorite video of theirs from that era but the video for buddy was the first one that really laid out like a certain kind of aesthetic that i just was like thought was just so cool at 14 years old well let's get into that some more so what exactly was the aesthetic and what was it about like the buddy video because the buddy video is great because it's not just De La Soul. It's right. like it's all like the native tongues. Yeah. 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 So let, let's this, kind of this is the remix, the by the way, to be clear. Yeah. So like the whole aesthetic of native tongues, Daisy Age, all that is that there was like an Afrocentricity and there was a fun and there was a playfulness. But there was like also an embracing of like full black humanity. Like you have to understand, like all these like there had already been this was like a few years into the golden age of hip hop. So you already had License to Ill, Raising Hell, Bigger and Deffer, Straight Outta Compton, Nation of Millions. All these albums had blown up culturally. And so th- these lanes for rap had already been established. And there there were like three or four lanes. It was like hyper-masculine militant in the case of Chuck D. It was hyper-masculine gangster in the case of NWA. It was hyper-masculine, like, just hood generalist, like like Run DMC. It was hyper-masculine ironic, like Beastie Boys, or it was hyper-masculine, like, lover, like LL Cool J. Like, these were basically all of your options. And so I think what Daylight did and what Native Tongues did was they, like, we're like, okay, there's another version of being a black young person here that isn't mm-hmm. being addressed. And they represent this untapped market of like the black youth experience, which was like suburban, but still decidedly Afrocentric. It was like super critical 
It was very wry. It was comedic. It was postmodern in the true Gen X media sense, in the sense of like, we've been inundated with media from the moment we opened our eyes on this planet. And so now all we can do is like recycle and, and, and like reform media. Everything is like a reference to something else media. And it also had this kind of like jaded, like uh, Gen X vibe. Like, I don't, everyone is kind of stupid. Like you're stupid, you're stupid. <laughs> Everyone's a fucking idiot. And even their songs, like where they like roast each other in circles. It's like everyone, nothing should be taken seriously. And I think being raised by boomers, a lot of Gen Xers like really felt that strongly, but still because they were like, still like from the hood in their own sense, they like, they would bust you in the eye if necessary. Like there are lots of tales from them on the road, like getting into shootouts, fucking fighting people. Like, I mean, they, like they were not soft. So <clears throat> I think that they just represented a certain like thing that a lot of black people that I knew were living, but wasn't being represented in other rap. And it wasn't like the other rap was bullshit or it wasn't smart. Cause it was like a lot of people say, Oh, they left soul was smart. And I'm like, I get that, but LL Cool J is like probably one of the smartest people to ever rap. Like if you listen to his lyrics and wordplay and just the way he's operated his career, like he was fucking brilliant, still is. It's just that he, he like, he directed his attention and his intelligence towards this one particular thing. And we all liked it, but I think that we, not that many of us were living it. And what Daylight did was like a, what a lot of people were living. Um, and I thought that, that that's part of what separated them out. Again, it's time to buy more soul. Flavor, you will save it in your soul. Wax is distributed in the so Washing sins is in your next kin PA makes his pocket on the console. Scream your heart until you blow your console. Bang or bang until you wear your shoes. You are now dancing to the one more thing that i love just about like the buddy video yeah and early daylight videos is that they're so young yeah and music videos are so new yeah. that there's like a deer in the headlights to them a little bit <laughs> like they're, they're they're just like looking like straight down like the barrel of the lens or just yeah. like don't really know where to look or what to do so there's something so like new and novelty about how they're presenting themselves like they're still cool yeah for someone who was born in 1990 looking back on it now it's just like shouldn't they be doing something more than like standing just all in a right. line just kind of right. doing right. just like not knowing exactly right. what to do right you know well, but i love that yeah but it's so charming it's yeah. well it, it is really charming and it's also really good natured and i think that like that's part of what made that video pop so much is that it, it was just a party like most videos, especially hip hop videos, are some version of 
utopia. Like that's the idea behind mm-hmm. them. And it's a matter of what your utopia is. So for some people, it's like, we're all in the club and everybody's got a bikini and there's endless bottle service. And for other people, it's like, we're all by the pool and everybody's got a bikini for other people. Like whatever it is, most videos represent a certain kind of utopia. And so what I love about that, about that video, that was a native tongues video that happened to be a, a tribe. I mean, a, a, a De La Soul album, but that was a full video. That was also Fife Dog's first ever professional recording so that was really a whole group project and that the video itself is like we're we just hang out like that's literally what we do we're we're 19 we dance we party we hang out it's cool like everybody can rhyme everybody is fun there's kids there like there's a little kid in the video like there's just something so joyful and community based around like the joy of being young that that video really captures and then it's inter it's interspersed with this like nonsensical footage of like of like Dave on a scooter and like what's going on. And then someone else is on a scooter. Then they're throwing rocks, the person on the scooter. And then at some point, one dude literally stops in front of the camera and gets a thought bubble. That's like, this video makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain, like, again, that's that Gen X postmodern kind of breaking the fourth wall understanding of media that is like evident and baked into all their work. Um, They, they're, they're both making media and always making comments on media um, and they don't even take the making of media seriously, at least not yet. That that will change for them. But at this point, they don't. So I'm 42. So I'm a little mm-hmm. bit younger than you, but I can still remember the first time hearing me, myself and I on the radio. Mm-hmm. And even then, the sense of how radically different it was mm-hmm. from the other hip hop that was being played in Miami in the late eighties and early nineties. <laughs> and, and so, Definitely. I mean, it wasn't, and again, like late eighties, early nineties, uh, hip hop in Miami was so geared towards two life crew and mm-hmm. uncle Luke and mm-hmm. like kind mm-hmm. of all of that. So it, it had, it, it was either, as you said, masculine in what today we would look at and say it, a, a, overly misogynistic way um, or masculine in a glorification of violence or gang of violence way. Right. And, and yet this kind of first big single from, from not just De La, although, you know, this is, this is a conversation about De La, but really it's a first big single that comes out connected to the native tongues. Mm. That, that really pops mm-hmm. and and so just for the for the context of our listeners for someone who's micaiah's age or or younger help paint a picture for us of of just how different it was mm. when de La came on the scene mm-hmm. everything else that was popular especially when you think about the other big albums of that era mm-hmm. are public enemy nwa um, you know, th- things of that nature. Help us understand that and, and why De La was so different. It's really, it's funny because it's really hard to remember because that was like this. I mean, I think that was the second highest charting rap single of the, no, that was the second, yeah, that was the second highest charting rap single of 1989. So yeah. the only one that charted higher that year was LL Cool J's I'm That Type of Guy, which is such a funny record. Um, mm-hmm. um 
And uh, and again, I could do a whole thing on how LL Cool J just went. He was so he just did so many things creatively that are fucking brilliant. And that record was one of them, like regardless of what you think of the kind of guy he is, which is kind of a douchebag. It's like what he did as an artist was really fucking fascinating. Anyway, um, I think that in a weird but the third highest charting single of that of that year was Paul's Boutique. So. I think there was a general movement. And to me, De La Soul, I mean, to me, Three Feet High and Rising and um, Paul's Boutique. I'm sorry, not Paul's Boutique. Hey, ladies from Paul's Boutique. But Paul's Boutique, the album, those are two. Those are like the same album. They're not not like they're like the twin towers of a certain thing that was happening in hip hop at that point. And I think Three Feet High came out like in March. Paul's Boutique came out like August, but they were like right there doing the same thing in terms of this like postmodern pastiche sample heavy kind of ironic thing. But so I don't, I, I, it was very different, but it wasn't like out of left field is I think Mm -hmm. is the distinction I'm trying to make. Like, yeah, certainly if you're in Miami and you're listening to like, basically just people just say pussy over a drum machine, like for like three hours in a row, this sounds (laughs) very different. But I also think that at the same time there was brewing in New York, this thing about samples and how to use samples. Cause really the dividing line, it feels to me was, are you using samples or are you rhyming over an 808 or are you, or I mean, if, and if you are using a sample, are you just using like the drum break from some John Bonham jump drum break or something? That's like just basically a sample, but just like maybe with a little more reverb, like if you're doing that, that's what a lot of rappers doing. And you might have one little reference to an existing song. You might sing a chorus from a monkey song or play a little keyboard line. That's from like a Beatles song or something. But, what what Prince Paul was doing and what they were doing in Paul's boutique was they were like, no, we're going, we're fucking making samples. Like we're, we're building on samples. We're rhyming over samples. So I think that's what made it so different was the way sampling was used. Mm. I think, I don't think it was, I think there were other, I mean, in 88 you had gas face happened and uh in the cactus album which i think was heavily like used samples in the same way actually the the public enemy stuff not the first one yo bum rush the show which was very sparse almost to the point of being postmodern. and it's it was almost experimental it was so fucking sparse and spacey and just like boom like it was really fucking something but then when they did nation of millions their second album it was all based on like james brown funky drummer samples and variations on that with that classic PE whistle thing. And so it was already happening that people were like, let's not go in this like boom, click, boom, click, boom direction. Let's fuck up these samples a little bit. I just think they last all took it to a whole and Prince Paul took it to a whole different level with that album. To her code, love struck was my mode. Took a look, dropped my textbook, Jennifer. Oh, breakfast, broken fast. She was in my English class. Asked for notes, rocked my boat. Jennifer, oh, Jenny, lost her favorite penny. So I gave her a dollar. She kissed me and I hollered. In a flash, the school bell rang. Jenny grabbed onto my hand, took me home, and said, You gorgeous. Swing it, swing it, swing. Downstairs, where we met, I brought records, she cassettes, lost the brakes, found her shape, Jennifer O'Jenny. Transcripts show more than flirt. I love daisies, 
at her shirt. Grab my jeans, Jimmy scream, Jennifer, oh Jenny. Morals shaped like a boss. No one can live their life apart. Found a house, aroused my joust, Jennifer, oh Jenny. Her clothes, I just shut. Just like Dan, I strictly stuck. To the punt, she tried kick it, pasta noose was in. Jenny, only thought about Jenny, but asked was I a virgin? Like some kid named Derwin? She said, let's try it in the bathroom, but the noose is way above sinks. So to the kitchen, she did Dan and came back wrapping some grand. Now, wait a minute. Heard an interview with Paz talking about what made Three Feet High and Rising so different. Yeah. Was that when, uh, like, EPMD would just put sample on sample on sample on sample, and everyone loves that record. Everyone loves that. You know, it's it's spoken for. It's beloved. But what they did is they actually used a harmonizer. Oh, yeah. So that they can put everything in the same key. That's correct. So they all sounded like they belong together instead of just like a sound, just like a, a, like a salt of the senses sound collage. It actually made them work like, oh, you can actually put, you know, Johnny Cash, Beastie Boys, James Brown. You can actually make that sound like that. It was always supposed to be a song. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up. They had this thing called the Eventide, uh, I think called eventide h910 or something like that which was an old piece of equipment it's from the 70s i think like throbbing gristle actually was like the first group that really made heavy use of it this british group but somehow they got a hold of one of those and that was the key because you had songs like um i'm trying to think of a song uh you had songs like uh, say no go which had that Detroit Emerald sample. Ding, dong, ding, dong, That's an F sharp minor. And then the Hollow Notes sample, San Go, is in C minor. Mm. Those aren't supposed to work together, especially <laughs> because they had to speed up the Detroit Emeralds thing like almost three times to get it. But because they could use the sampler, they could put that together. So, yes, it was like it was sonically much more pleasing in general than EPMD's first album, which everyone loves, but yes, is a little bit messy sounding. Now, on the flip side, this album and part of the reason, I mean, it, it disappeared because of the sample stuff, which we can get into, but the and the turtles in specific and like that that lawsuit, but this album sonically does not hold up as well as Paul's Boutique, which was being recorded at the same time, but was recorded on Capitol Records with Capitol Records money and Capitol Records engineers and Capitol Records cash. And if you listen to that album, sonically it holds up so much better. And I think it's just a really good example of what happens when like when like a black kid from Amityville makes an indie record versus when like a white kid like who goes to NYU whose parents can afford NYU. You know what I mean? Like it's just mm-hmm. the different set of resources that you have at your disposal. Um and it's particularly because the Beastie Boys were so huge at that point that they could command huge amounts of money. So I think if there's any knock I have on Three Feet High and Rising, I mean I have a few, but one of them is that just the sound quality is just not that great. Mm. And I think, and it's not even possible, I don't think, to remaster it to the point where it really pops the way it should. But I feel like if 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 we could hear a version of that album that really popped, where every note was crisp and every bass was where it was and the highs and mids were where they needed to be, I have no doubt that that would be considered by many like a top 10 all-time album. Yeah, I, I love pairing those together because uh, Paul's Boutique and Three Feet High and Rising, because Three Feet High and Rising does better Paul's boutique flops. Yeah. But I think initially, yeah, which one's better, I think is pretty up in the air for a lot of people. I don't think there's quite a consensus over which is 
better. But what's interesting, and you were alluding to this, is that Three Feet High and Rising goes away. Yeah. And it's almost into obscurity unless you're old enough to have remembered it. Yeah. Uh, because it doesn't have samples that are cleared. And because of issues like in-house issues yes. like with Tommy Boy, yeah. Paul's Boutique still gets reissued, still yeah. is streaming, does not have samples that are cleared by like Led Zeppelin because they famously do not allow that. And yet the record still gets printed and played and streamed, you know, so that gets back to that, like who gets to make what kind of music, who gets away with what. Well, yeah. They're a great pair of those two. Yeah, no, it's interesting because Paul's Boutique, I mean, I know that the Led Zeppelin samples aren't cleared and there's like a terminal lawsuits about that, but they also did clear like $250,000 worth of samples before the album dropped. Like mm. they had the cash in the in hand to clear those samples or get at least a lot of clearance. Cause that, that song, that album has fucking million samples. I mean, so does, that's one of the reasons why I think of them both together. Cause they, it was just like, instead of being like, here's a sample here, here's a sample here. We're going to build a song in one sample. Both those albums were just took this crazy maximalist approach to sampling um, to tremendous results in both of them. But in the case of Paul's boutique, they cleared like 250 grand worth of samples before the first day that album showed up in stores. So they they already had a huge head start um, in a lot of ways. And it really, a lot of it came down to money. Actually, every head start that that album had came down to ca- how much cash people had on hand at mm. the moment it dropped. How do we, I mean, how do we process that? How do we, how do we make sense of that? How does that mm. impact the legacy that we see of these two albums looking back now on these 35 years well that's such a big question i mean the beastie boy the other thing about the beastie boys is you know like hip-hop the i mean we're seeing this now at 50 years and people are fighting against this ll cool j is another person who i think is very much fighting against this another reason i always give him props despite how whatever all the critiques you'd have of him but hip-hop um canonization is largely in the hands of white people like that's just what has happened and that's happened with jazz that's just what happens and it's got to do with again who's got the money to open a museum who's who's going to be able to walk into a publisher's office and be like oh yo i want to make a book about hip-hop and to be taken seriously versus who's going to be like well we need something a little more professional like it's just that's just the nature of the thing so given that that's the case the beastie boys are always going to have a head start because everyone's going to be like they're just like me they're just like, this is like what it was like when I was young. They're, right. Whereas De La Soul, fewer people are going to be like, they're just like me. They're going to be like, they're cool, but they're not just like me, especially because of, you know, because there's another story about why De La Soul, I think, quote unquote, disappeared, although they didn't for most black folks, is that, you know, they they really hated that the 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 first that they hated that song for starters they really they would in live concert they would chant we hate this song before performing it it's about really? me myself and i right yeah to me myself and i they didn't want to yeah. do me myself they didn't even want to record it it was one of the classic things where album was done they went to the label labels like this is good we don't have anything we can go to radio with let's do something with radio uh, i think it was mace and prince paul got together started breaking down the knee deep sample brought Poss and Dave in there and they like very reluctantly were like, Oh, come on. You want us to rhyme over this bullshit? Because to them, they were very, they were young anti-establishment. Fuck the system. We don't need radio. You know, they were like kids. And so when Prince Paul was like, I I get all that, but if we want this thing to happen, we need to have something that the radio can get onto. So they reluctantly did these rhymes over, over the knee deep sample, which they thought was some corny mainstream sounding shit which it in fact was, which is why that, which is why the song blew up. And, you know, they laid the song out and they did it. So, but then the problem for them is that 
that song crossed over in a way that they didn't love. And it made everyone think they knew who De La Soul were in a way that they didn't. They were like, oh, they're the hippies. They're cool. In other words, they were like approachable black folks. They were like funny mm-hmm. and lighthearted and everyone. And so then everyone liked them. And so that's why the next album is called De La Soul is Dead, because they were trying to get rid of that. And they spent the next I mean, I I think I have I mean, I have argued out somewhere in something I wrote that they spent the rest of their career beating the Daisy allegations effectively because they were like trying to they were like, that's I understand that you guys like that. We had a lot of things going on in the album, but everyone's latched on to the hippie thing. And even in the video, they're like, we're not hippies. I know you're calling us hippies, but we're not hippies. They say that in the song. They show that in the video. But people just were like, no, that's this is what we like to see. And so I think the fact that they turned so um, purposefully away from a huge part of their audience in their all of their subsequent albums also contributes to why they quote unquote fell off the map, although they didn't really for black folks. reading like older views or you know snippets of older views like Mm -hmm. wikipedia where it's just like um whenever white critics want to compliment a great hip-hop record they Mm -hmm. have to call it sergeant pepper or compare it to the beatles that's right so just like three feet high rising oh it's the sergeant pepper of hip-hop yeah yeah that's right (laughs) i think they do the same thing to takes a nation they're like wow this is like the Sergeant Pepper of hip hop, just yeah. like every couple of years, there's the Sergeant Pepper of hip hop. It's you so know? true. And to me, that's always what made it so ironic about this sampling, because, you know, the first lawsuit that made everything come tumbling down was when the turtles sued them for that mm-hmm. little fucking interlude, like live from Mars that used the turtle song. And I always thought, boy, isn't that funny? Because the turtles were like, we're hippies, fuck the establishment, blah, blah, blah. And then, <laughs> but fast forward to 89 and they're like, where is our fucking money? And it's not, there's not whatever, like people are doing what they need to do. But I always thought it was really interesting that I think the reason they ignored sampling before that is because they really thought that, I mean, I'm talking about just like old rockers in general, like old white dudes in general, just really thought that hip hop was just com- either completely artless and therefore useless or that it was never going to make any real money because what are these kids 
from the hood who were just spinning records and saying like dumb rhymes over them. That's not art. And I think when they, I think, I think three feet high and rising was art mm-hmm. and I, and it was also commercially successful. And I think that really woke people up to be like, wait a minute, you mm-hmm. can't make art on top of our art. Um, and it's so funny because like they obviously use knee deep and I, you don't hear parliament like bursting in being like, give us our fucking money because parliament recognized not only is this song dope in and of itself, not only is using this idea in the tradition of how we make music in our culture, like also this is going to turn so many fucking people onto our music that never heard it before. Like I didn't know about knee deep until this sample. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about, um, uh, Magic Mountain, like Eric Burden and War, until I heard Potholes in My Lawn. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know about, I didn't even really know about the Hall and Oates Say No Go thing until, until say, whatever that song, Say No Go. You know what I mean? Like, these albums, like, put our whole generation onto these older tracks. And a lot of these artists recognize that, but some of them got in their egos and were like, I think they just didn't they didn't respect De La Soul artistically and they were mad that other people were respecting them artistically and they wanted to intervene in that process. That's what it always felt like to me. And it it really did change the face of everything, you know, for sure. That's why there's, you're never going to get another album like Paul's Boutique or like uh, Three Feet High because the sample clearance thing is too out of hand. And once lawyers realize they can make money and record companies and people who own the publishing and now your publishing is owned by Sony International and stuff, they're going to figure out how to like put the kibosh in that and get their money. That's just the nature of capitalism. Greetings, girl, and welcome to my world of phrasing right up to bat. It's the Daisy Eight, you're about to walk top stage, so wipe your lottoes on the mat. Hip-hop love, this is, and don't mind when I quiz your apartments before the sun. But clear your court, cause this a one-man sport, and who's better for this than plug one? Plug don't one. have to worry about me squashing other deals, cause they've already been squished. Freeze a frame of our moves the same, wish we can right behind the bush you'll stay with me i know this but not because of all my earthly treasures or regardless to the fact that i'm possibly loose but because This dance to introduce myself as the chosen one to speak. Let me lay my hand across yours and aim a kiss upon your cheek. The name's plucked too, and from the soul I bring you the daisy of your choice. May it be filled with a pleasure principle in circumference to my voice. About those other jennies I reckoned with, lost them all like a homework excuse. This time the magic number is two, cause it takes two, not three, to seduce. My destiny of love is brought to an apex. Sex is a mere molecule. In this world of lust that I have for you, it's true, true. Help us understand native tongues and what they what they mean and, and how that the, right. that kind of native tongue aesthetic and style comes out in De La's music. Yeah, I mean they're kids that grew up together basically in the sort of if you were to draw it on a map it's like the circle between the bronx queens brooklyn long island right that's like it's like people from that 
like that is from you know and like there's a lot of Long Island representation in early hip hop obviously like Rock Hammers from Wine Dance and like there's a you know not Public Enemies from LI and so there's a lot of representation of that already we don't think of Long Island especially inner Long Island as one of the boroughs but in hip hop history it truly is and it would be more of a borough than Staten Island if it weren't for Wu-Tang. <laughs> but Wu-Tang just was so phenomenal that they made us include Staten Island in the five boroughs. But it wouldn't have been, really. It would have been Long Island before that. And so the fact that I don't remember the exact chronology of who went to school with who, but people were down from whenever. Like they were, I know that Tip and Fife went to school were like, you know, elementary school. I know that Mason, Dave, and I think Puss also were at least middle school, junior high. Like these people go back. I know ultimately Queen Latifah was down with native with native tongues, and I don't know what her relationship was goes back. I don't know about Jungle Brothers, how far they went back. Then you had Prince Paul, who was I think a year older than them, but also kind of grew up in the same neighborhood. So all these people used to just, you know, you have to remember like. What we were doing, and me and my cousin did this, and that's like, I didn't even know there was a name for this until recently, but everyone, when we were growing up, hip hop was so fucking cool. Everybody was just trying to make it in the 80s. We were just making hip hop in our bedrooms all the time. It didn't matter with any instruments we had. Some people would get so bold just to try and scratch their parents' record. Most people learned very quickly not that that wasn't the route to go at. Um, but we also did other stuff. We, you know, we'd like beat out things on lunch tables. We'd make little beats using our toys. But the other thing we do is we make pause tapes, which was like something that I know that Mays and Prince Paul and all them used to do because I read about it, but me and my cousins used to do it too. We used to make our own beats by just sampling in our, like in our bedrooms. But all we had to sample with was a blank tape and a tape with music on it. So we would play the tape with music till it got to the sample. Then we would pause. Then we'd record the little sample. Then we'd pause again. And we'd basically like live mix the tape. So then we put in the next tape that we think should go after that. And then we'd play it to that point. Then we hit unpause on the record. Then we hit pause again. And we would just do this. It was like stop motion mixing. And with rhythms is, all over the place. Yeah. We would literally do stop motion, stop motion live mixing. And if you were good at it, when you played it back, it would take you three hours and you play it back, you get like, you know, 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But those, if you were good, those 35 seconds slapped and you played it for your cousins and your friend, and be like, Oh, that's dope as shit. And it would be your own beat that you made of everyone's beats. So like that was the culture. Then people just, no one came to us and said, this is how you do it. It's just, we loved hip hop so much that you just started making, you just started making it. I think my cousin showed me how to do pause tapes and I got really obsessed with it. You know, I would spend hours in my room doing it. So that's the background for all this is this kind of self-taught personal creativity. I think that when they just, when they formed up and decided to be part of a crew together, it was a feeling of like, we have to represent for what isn't represented here. And so the the more the merrier, like the bigger, the better. Like that was truly bigger endeavor, right? And like, I feel like if you look at the video for me, myself and I, the origin story is all there. It's like, we're basically being trained in examples of hip hop and black male masculinity that we don't actually like. And we have to fight our way out of it. And we can only do that together. You know, and so like at the end of that video, when Mace gets up and gives them a hall pass, he gives like, I think he gives Paz the hall pass first and then, or gives Dave the hall pass. And then Dave gets up and gives the hall pass to Mace, I mean, to Paz, and they can get out of this class. 
what's written on that hall pass is dope beats. And so the feeling is like the, to, if you want to be who you want to be and get respect where we come from, you better do, be fucking good at something. And so mm-hmm. we need like dope ass beats and we need dope rhymes in order for us to like actually just elbow out a space for ourselves. And so I think the Native Tongues Collective was every was people joining up to make that more possible and easier for everyone to do. She had two twins though and one crib. Now she's only 14. What a start. But this effect is ground common in these parts. Now life in this world can be such a bitch. And dreams are often torn and shattered and hard to stitch. Negative the attitude that runs the show when the stage is the GH Which is the one to blame when bullets blow? Either Peter, Jane, or John or Joe. But Joe can't shoot a gun. He's always drunk. And Peter's pimping Jane. And John's a punk. Infested all the halls, also the brain. Daddy's broken down from ghetto pains. Mommy flying high, the truth is shown, the kids are all alone, cause it's just the ghetto thing. It's just the ghetto thing. Frank's the baddest brother, the one to rule. This title is sought by the coolest fool. Define coolest fool, easy, the one who needs attention in the largest span and loves to lead. Always found at the jams, but never dance. Just provoke violence due to one glance. The future plays no matter, just the present flow. And the greeting place is the G-H-E-T-T-O. Lies are pointed strong into your skull. Deep within your brain, against the walls. To hide or just erase a glowing note of how to use the ghetto as a scapegoat. Truth from true boy's mouth is here to scar. Those who blame the G for all bizarre. So open up your fence and record well, cause this is where we stand for the truth tell. Ghetto gain the ghetto name from ghetto waves. Now there could be some ghetto gangs and ghetto play. If ghetto thing can have its way in ghetto range, then there must be some ghetto love and ghetto change. Though confident they keep it kept, we know for fact they lie like ghetto's form, cause people lack. To see that they must all get out the ghetto hole, the truth they never told, cause it's just the ghetto thing. So there are like 24 tracks on this album. So clearly we can't talk about every (laughs) single one of them, but we've asked you if, if at all possible to come up with like a top five favorite tracks or, you know, top five tracks that you would at least want to talk about. So what are your like top five favorite tracks from the album? And as you go through them, just kind of say, you know, what it is about them that you you love. Well, I mean, this, I'm not going to rank them in order. It's just like, uh, you know, we typically do it how they appear on the album. Yeah. Okay. So I don't even know if I did that right. But, um, but so magic number for starters, Mm because that that's the first like non skit, uh, thing. And I, you know, it's just so good. Like, I don't, (laughs) it's just like, I I also love the rhyme patterns on magic number. And that's a thing is that their rhyme patterns were so complex. Um, you know, and that wasn't new either because Rakim had like famously come along and been like, okay, guys, let's complexify this a little bit. Let's stop doing, I walked in the house and then I saw a mouse. Like, let's do internal rhymes and mm-hmm. and like refer to things. So like that was already established, but I thought the way that Daylight did it was so, it was just so satisfying um, because they rhymed in these off patterns that were more, that were more like nursery rhymey, but consciously so. They also rhymed in they also rhymed like in addition to the music, like they would rhyme on top of the sample, almost using the exact same rhythmic ideas as the sample. But they also would do these little verses like that one has a verse that I can't I'm not looking right now, but there's it has like little little bridges that are verses in and of themselves. And I just think that there's I just think they do so many interesting things rhyme wise and magic number. 
Um, I love Buddy, both the original and the remakes. I love the Buddy original sample. I know the remix is is like everyone's favorite track and it's good and it's wonderful. But the original is so good because I love that Commodore sample. And um, yeah, like I said, that's what Tribe Called Quest really went off in that direction. And I love that. Say No Go to me is 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 a really good example of uh, <laughs> the sample. The song is good because of the sample. But this, but the, the the rap version is way better than the original version, and mm. I love the original version. I'm a Hall and Oates fan, and also I remember you know my kids are adults now; they're 18 and 20. And when they enter their teenagers' the years, they were old enough to start like being interested in older music and wanting me to show them stuff and being like, "Oh, what's this?" So I remember one time I was like, "Oh, here's a song that actually low key slaps. I'm going to play this like 80s song." So I played "Say No Go," thinking that they were going to be like, "Yeah, this beat goes hard as fuck," you know? And they were just like unwowed. They were like, "Huh? I can I, I guess that." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I remember this. I remember this beat going way harder than it really does." And then the next day, I remembered wait not not the not the the like i played from the hall and Oates song <clears throat> and then the next day i went back and played them the de la soul song and they were like this song is so good what is this dad oh my god and it's like they really made the song better just by that little speeding up and of course the rhyme so like i just think it was better than the original plug tuning is great is another favorite song of mine because i love songs where the beat and this was a big thing you saw in hip-hop all the time is like where the bass line goes up and down and forth, where it's like boom, you had that a lot. You had Bismarcky do that all the way up into the '90s. You had um, House of Pain used to love doing that shit. Um, who's the other group from LA that's like the House of Pain, Cypress Hill? Uh, all their beats were, dun, 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 you know, that kind of thing. I just loved that bass line that goes up and down and forth. Me, myself, and I is obviously so good because Knee Deep is one of the greatest funk songs ever made. Uh, and I love potholes in my lawn because, and this is also because of the sample because it introduced me to Magic Mountain, which I love. I think Magic Mountain is probably for me, for my money, a better song even than Potholes in My Lawn. But Potholes in My Lawn is so good, and all of these, you know, they have these like just laid back rhyme patterns that are like smart and interesting, and you they they withstand multiple listenings because there's like multiple layers to the meanings. They're lyrically very dense. Um, yeah, that's probably my top five, five or six songs. Which was your hardest song to leave off? This is a recording would be hard to leave off, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a recording uh, is also a really good song. And it's in it. It's a it's totally sonically different. You know, it's a little it's a lot more of a club sounding track. It's a little darker, but it would forsage like some of the stuff that happened with uh, artificial intelligence, like stuff they would get into later. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a recording is good. Um yeah. And the samples are so all over the place. Like they have Fiorello LaGuardia, like the former mayor of New York sampled on. I mean, it's like the sample library is insane. So I just love that. No, not again. Get the daisies for the hot holes in my lawn. Saying what to do when sucker lunatics start digging and chewing. They don't know that the soul don't go for that potholes in my lawn. And that goes for my rhyme sheet, which I concentrated so hard on. See, I don't act for maximum security, but my dwelling is swelling. It lit my butt when I happened to fall into a spot where no ink or an ink block was on the scroll. I just wrote me a new mold, but now it's gone. Cause those suckers knew that I hate to recognize that every time I'm 
So we've spent quite a bit talking specifically about Three Feet High and Rising, mm. but let's get into kind of their their catalog. Now, a lot of mm-hmm. people, just so you know, music writers hate having to answer questions like this. I but myself what, included. Yeah. I figured, <laughs> what What would be your top five De La Soul albums? Because I'm wondering if for you, Three Feet High and Rising is even number one. Uh. N- no, it, I, the reason, yes, I hate ranking them. And the reason I hate ranking them is because you like them all for different reasons. And yeah, there's some that you don't love, but you, you like them all for different reasons. You don't like comparing them. Uh, and you also know that your favorite isn't necessarily the best. It's just the one you like the most. Mm-hmm. And at least I, I feel that way. Maybe some people are like, if I like it the most, it's the best, but I don't feel that way. I so, really so like, that, yeah, yeah. So let's let's look at it. Just yeah, your favorite. That's what I'm. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm interested in. Well, artificial intelligence is my favorite, but it's really just a function of just where I was in my life when that album came out. It just which, it just, which one, Mosaic Thump or by uh, uh, the first one, Mosaic Thump, right? Cool. Is Mosaic Thump the first one? Yeah, yeah. Um, that one, I just love it, and it's not perfect, but it's so. It's just such an interesting album, and. Um, rhyme wise it's so elite um and then to that uh end the grind date is fucking incredible <laughs> and i know again people want to clown on the grind date or think it's not i mean that's and i i mean but the, the again like on spotify the the two song number two like one and two songs are me myself and i and then whatever that grind date track is with uh with mf doom mm-hmm. um you know, those are the number two stream songs. So people know, and a lot of that has to do with MF Doom and all, you know, but like the grind date is really incredible as an album. Um, Stakes is high is really good. I mean, I, if I had to make an argument for like just the most impressive, like musical feat, I think Stakes is high is probably the best album. Um, it was so high pressured. It came at such an important point in their career. The stakes literally were high. I mean, and the, like the story behind that is that Lee or Cohen sat them down. They were on tour with Tribe and Tribe was like blowing up and Daylight was just not. And, um, and uh, you know, they like Lee or Cohen sat him down and was like, listen, guys, like this is basically it. Like you're either if your next album doesn't do something like it's curtains <laughs> it's like ending for you guys. Because Balloon Mind State just didn't do what they needed it to do, even though it's a very good album. <clears throat> and it probably is my, the other album on this list for me. Um, but I know that Stakes as High is like one where they really pulled out the stops. And there's a funny story about Paz like stealing a beat, stealing that um, that Dilla beat from Q-Tip 
in order to get that song stakes the title track. And the story goes that, you know, and this is Mace has told this story, uh, but the story goes that, you know, Pasanus and Q-Tip had a really interesting relationship. They were competitive, they were brothers, but they also, there was a lot of, and Q-Tip really looked up to Pas, and so he would play him beats. And if Pas liked the beat, then Q-Tip would keep it. And so mm. after a while, Pas picked up on this pattern. So he was at Q-Tips, he was like, kicking it with him, and Jay Dilla had made this beat, and Tip was like, what do you think of this, y'all? What do you think of this? And Pas like, was like, yeah, I don't know, dude. I mean, it's, yeah, I guess, if that's you, if you like it. And he was like, you don't think it's that good? He's like, eh, it's fine. And so <laughs> he's like, wow. And Tip just puts the beat down, and then and then Paz, according to legend, leaves and immediately gets to the phone. He's like, I heard this fucking beat from Dilla. This shit is amazing. We got to fucking get it. We got we can't let you know. <laughs> like we had to fucking get this beat, and that's the beat they got for Stakes is High because he basically like reverse engine, you know, he reverse psychology him mm-hmm. out of that beat. So it was re- it, it like it was crucial for them. Mistakes is high, and you can feel that urgency in the album. It's just it's just a really good album, and I think. I think I love it too because they were fighting a losing battle. Like it was too late. Like in the eighties, there was so much positivity in hip hop and so much of like, stop the violence. Let's get it together. Let's not go in this direction. We can just band together and we can be, you know what I mean? And it was like, yeah, like we, people felt like, yeah, that's right. We can fucking do that. And then by the, by the time stakes is high came out, it was, it, it, it had already been decided. This is mm-hmm. what we're doing with hip hop. And that wasn't just by the artists. That was by the record companies. That was by everybody. It was decided. We're doing drugs, guns, like non-consensual sex, you know what I mean? Violence, like we're mafios. That, that's what we're doing. And if you're, if you're with it, then you can make a lot of money. And if you're not, sorry, buddy, like hit the bricks. And De La, you know, that song always feels like, like my dad used to say a fart in a windstorm, you know, but it's just like, it's just call, it's just like a plea, please let's fucking stop this. But you know that they can't. And so that's the power of that album for me is like it's urgency. And I know that they feel satisfied with it. Like it did what they wanted it to do, even though it didn't change the direction of hip hop. Um, so my, just to, just to recap, stakes is high. Artificial intelligence, three feet high and rising is on there. Balloon mind state and grind date are my five not necessarily in that order yeah yeah the skit. A baby is brought into a world of piss. And if we could have talked that soon in a delivery room, it would have asked the nurse for a hit. The reason for this? The mother is a jerk. Excuse me, junkie, which brought the work of the older to a new life. What a way. But this what a way has been a way of today. Anyway, push couldn't shove me to understand a path to a base set. Cause humans should have raised it in a first wave. Cause second wave from believers and believers will walk to it then even talk to it and say, None of that. Tell him what to say, Mace. Well, let me, uh, you know, I, I just want to say, Gravel, thanks so much for doing the podcast. And it's been a really great conversation about De La and who they are and 
the time when this debut album of theirs came out. But one of the things we like to do with every guest on the podcast is we like to give our guests an opportunity to do again, what music writers (laughs) might hate to do. Um, and, and just give us five albums. So they don't have to be a top five. They don't have to be favorite. They don't have to be best. They could just be what you're listening to right now. But, uh, this, this is your opportunity to, to really kind of champion five albums to an audience of music nerds. And so we want to give you the chance to do that. So the way it's so funny because the way that I interpreted this question was five albums from a specific year, which I decided to pick 1989 and just think about what else came out in 1989. And and I realized it's, it's actually a weird year in hip hop history because there aren't that many debuts other than De La Soul, like major debuts in 1989, everything either debuted in 88 or 90. And then there were a lot of second albums in 89 that, you know, like BDP had their third album, uh, uh, public enemy dropped in 88. Then again, in 91, I think it was like everyone, you know, uh, NWA dropped in 88. Like there was 89 was a little bit of a open category, but Paul's boutique obviously is there. 89, August, um, special ed youngest in charge was 89. That song was very much on repeat in my household. Um, no one can do it better by the DOC. That album, that was the DOC's breakout solo project after NWA. Funky Enough is probably, is one of the hardest rap songs ever made. Like if you ever just sit and listen to it, the first album, first track from that album is incredible. And he obviously lost his voice because of an accident, but like that album had so much promise. He, he, he might've been, he might've gone down historically as top five if it weren't for, you know, what happened to him. Um, Raw Like Sushi by Nana Cherry came out that, that year, which I didn't realize until I went back and looked at it. The Buffalo Stance, obviously that, that whole aesthetic and album was just really fucking powerful for me. Um, EPMD's second album, Unfinished Business came out that year. And get the Bozak was like a big thing for me. And please listen to my demo was great. Uh, and then Queen Latifah dropped that year too. So Tommy Boy was kind of on top of things. All hail the Queen. Um, and you had Ladies First on that one. You had the Evil That Men Do with KRS One. So those are my. I guess that's probably six too. But the albums from that year: Paul's Boutique, Youngest in Charge, No One Can Do It Better, Raw Like Sushi. And you could really toss up EPMD, Youngest, uh, Unfinished Business, and All Hail the Queen for like to round out my 1989 list that's a great list right yeah those are great albums i i love i love that you mentioned both the doc and the special ed albums uh carvel thank you so much uh for being with us it's been a real treat and for our listeners you can hear more of carvel wallace on slate's how to podcast and i promise you uh whatever uh, media outlet you read, you are going to read something by Carvel (laughs) sometime soon. Carvel, thanks for being with us, bud. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. And now for my next number, I'd like to return to the classics, perhaps the most famous classic in all the world of music. World of music. World of music. World of music. The first time around, you didn't quite understand I'm going to stop speak. Don't worry. We can fix that right now. So why don't you all just grab your bag. Come on board. Hoist the answer. We'll be off. Answering any service 
prerogative praise positively I'm acquitted enemies publicly shame my utility after the battle then riches I quit it simply so well moved I don't like rude transistors are never more shown with life when vocal flow brings it all down in ruins due to a clue of a naughty noise called platoons We asked for a, a favorite vibe from Carvel when it comes to De La. Um, Micaiah, you and I, I, I think, probably probably share this opinion. Um, I have such a fondness for Three Feet High and Rising because the youthfulness that's in it, and it reminds me so much of my childhood, and it it does it sounds so fun and sounds so youthful it sounds like a song it sounds like an album you would listen to in middle school and high school Mm -hmm. um which is why i think it personally is so meaningful to me but i think that both of us could make cases for any of the three prince paul produced albums oh i would yeah i would i would make the i could make the case for either one of them you know, because, you know, Three Feet High and Rising, of course, is beloved. You know what? Let's get the let's get the Rolling Stone list. Where where have they historically put Three Feet High and Rising? Well, in the original 2003 list, when I mean, really, you you had to buy the original CD if you wanted to hear it. Um, it was 346. Same in 2012. It stayed it stayed put at 346. But you want to talk about um, the difference, and we've we've mentioned this a lot in that Rolling Stone list. The 2020 list was such a different, I think, more diverse collection of contributors and writers. I think you really saw what De La Soul means to people because in 2020, it went from 346 to 103. I mean, just outside of being a top 100 all-time album on the Rolling Stone list, that's how high Three Feet High jumped up. And it is the highest of the, uh, at least on the Rolling Stone list, this is the highest of the De La Soul albums. Yeah, and and they've added De La Soul is Dead, which had Mm -hmm. not been on there before. And they recently, last year, did the top 100 or 200 hip-hop albums and three feet high and rising was pretty high on that and they also included balloon mind state yeah um and those lists were all made before everything was re-released physically and on streaming so stands to reason it's gonna go up they could jump up yeah yeah whenever i mean at this point we've talked about it essentially um, every, I mean, somewhere between every seven to 10 years, Rolling Stone redoes their, their 500 greatest. My expectation is that we will see three feet high and rising as a top 100 album in the next iteration of the Rolling Stone 500. Once they start and, taking out all the Kanye West albums in the top 100. Yeah. And then, and then I think we will also see both stakes as, uh, I think we'll see, um, uh, De La Soul is dead and balloon mind state um climb higher and probably stakes as high added to the to the 500 i would love to see it um yeah but but so all that to be said let me let me go ahead and give you what would be my top five de la soul albums all right um so three feet high and rising would be my number one 
Uh, number two and three might as well be tied because they could switch any day. Whichever one I've listened to more recently is the one that's going to go higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be Balloon Mind State and De La Soul is dead two and three today. Stakes is high at number four and Grind Date at number five. Great. Yeah, number five for me would be Grind Date. And that era I love because that's when, like, De La Soul, like, me, myself, and I was its own thing. Mm-hmm. But then De La, like, became a thing for me around Grind Date because of the Chappelle show. They were one of the first musical guests. Yeah. And so that's when I saw them as De La Soul, like, iconic hip-hop act, not just the guys for me, myself, and I video. You know, it's like that era I'm always going to have, like, an affinity for. And, you know, the early 2000s hip-hop, you know, it's just stuff that I love. And, you know, you got mad lib on there i think like ninth wonder there's just a lot of cool stuff um and mordilla too i think Mm -hmm. um so grind date at five stakes is high at four um which we haven't talked about this yet but um when all the stuff came out while the you know when their catalog went to streaming and everything uh de la played on the tonight show with jimmy fallon uh, with the roots and if y'all want to get a sense of at least, you know, pasta noose as a performer, um, check out that video mm-hmm. uh, on YouTube. It is a, an incredible performance. And um, one thing we, we, it's kind of shocking that we haven't brought this up. Um, but in January, Dave uh, passed away uh, tragically from, you know, kind of like long-term health issues. He had been, you know, battling um just a couple months before everything came out you know and so that's kind of clouded the excitement you know so but i think that Poss and maceo have been really great about keeping dave's you know legacy uh alive and always you know representing and you know um having the crowd chant thank you dave and you know it's, it's been really really sweet and great the way that they've been approaching it and, 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 and handling it. It's been really great. And that comes through um, in that performance, the Jimmy Fallon performance. Um, number three for me is tough because my two and three are also tied. And it is a lot of time come down to which ones I just listened to most recently. I was listening to De La Soul is Dead uh, right before we did this, but I've been talking about Three Feet High and Rising for hours now. So I'm going to have De La Soul is Dead at three but i'm gonna say this up there with to pimp a butterfly as being best post fame hip-hop mm-hmm. album yeah um incredible i mean they really doubled down on just being wacky you know so like if you like so it has instead of the sketches i mean they have like more sketches and it plays like a read-along book that like beeps the list you know to turn the page but there are also interludes of like a a radio station but then there are also just musical interludes and then there are great big bona fide hits and then just these other just like wild songs i mean like dale soul is dead just like excites me more when i listen to it um nevertheless number two is three feet high and rising because like there there is just something so great about you know it just it's infectious you know it's just like it, it's so positive and so fun it's not like the you know like the kind of 
I don't want to say melodrama because I think I love melodrama and for some reason melodrama is kind of like a bad word. It's not like melodramatic, like narrative hip hop. And it's not, you know, um, it's not overtly political, you know, it's, it's positive. It's fun. And there is, everything is political, but it's not talking about policy and it's not talking about, um, it's not trying to like deconstruct race lyrically, but who they are as people and what they're presenting, you know, is a is political. Like what what they're choosing to represent and what they're choosing to not represent is political and sociopolitical. You know, like mm-hmm. the most political they get is take it off, take that gold chain off, take that do rag off, take those you know, take the take those converse off, take it you know, take it off. Like let's do a new thing. You know, that's their big political statement. You know, it's uh, has nothing really to do with like policy. It's it's more culture driven, and I think that's that's the language of youth, right? Is mm-hmm. is, is pop culture more than politics? But those things are, you know, when you grow up, you realize those things are always interconnected. Um, so that leads me to my number one, uh, which is balloon mind state. We should also say that like continuing the tribe thing. Three Feet High comes out 89. People's Instinct of Travels comes out 90. Low in Theory and De La Souls did both come out 91. Mm-hmm. And then in 93, Midnight Marauders and Balloon Mind State come out. And this continues with Stakes and Stakes is High and uh, Beats. Uh, I always forget the name of that title. Yeah. One, but the the next uh, Tribe Records, they also, those come out in 96. And I think Love Movement is 99. And then Artificial intelligence, the first one's 2000. So they always have albums coming out pretty close to each other. Um, but Balloon Mind State for me is one, it fits on one LP. So it's their shortest album. So it's really tight. Um, and instead of having motifs that are sketches, the motifs are kind of the samples or a lyric or an idea. And weeding or just kind of weaving those throughout the album instead of just like a funny sketch. So there, there's a maturity there, um, but it's also but it doesn't take itself too seriously ever, um, which is really important. And that's a great balancing act. Uh, it's the fa- it's the final album with Prince Paul, and for me, it's just it's it's a it's a perfect album. Uh, perfect hip hop album, my favorite Dale. So, like Carvel saying, I don't know if it's the best De La Soul album. It's my favorite, so much so that sometimes I'm tempted to say that it is the best. Um, but I mean, you get things like Ego Trippin' and uh, Break a Dawn, uh, In the Woods, which has one of the you know iconic Poss verses. I am I be is a very jazzy, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're really, they see, this is where they're kind of all over the place in that album. Yeah. I mean, Dave even said afterward that he thought it was too weird that he, he kind of dismissed it a little bit, but I think it's the one that's most post driven, mm-hmm. which I've said earlier that, you know, pasta is, is, is my, you know, favorite uh, between them. And like he, he wrote Dave's verse on IMIB. Mm-hmm. Dave typically writes his own verse, you know, so like it, that was, you know, he really had a vision for what he wanted to do there. And I think that was compete with Tribe. Meanie, 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 meanie. What? Meanie, 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 meanie. Meanie, 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 meanie. Meanie, 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 meanie. What? Meanie, 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 meanie. What? 
Meaning, 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 meaning. Hello, it's the soul. Trooping in with the jungle patrol. And this one's about the chaos. The knockouts out there who's holding my body. Wait a minute. Now just wait. We're gonna talk about buddy on this plate. But before we let the herd out the gate, make sure all the levels are straight out the jungle. The jungle, the brothers, the brothers. De la soul, from the soul. Black medallions, no gold. Hanging out with cars, hanging out with mace. Buddy, 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 all in my face. Both the lap. Jim Browski must wear a cap Just in case the young girl likes to clap Ain't for the win, but before I begin I'll initiate the buddy with a slap Now for the next I'm the cutest from a tribe called Quest And when I quest for the buddy, I don't fess For my Jimmy wants nothing but the best The best? The best Ooh-wee. Let's stick out Jimmy and see what we can catch Stick him up, stick him up, Jimmy Next Won't be needed unless Jenny wanna get right to the flesh I won't lie, I love B-U-D-D-Y, cause I never let it walk on by, when it comes to meeting Jenny I seem, very serious, like a big friend, buddy is the act that a cruise on the list, when Jimmy and Jenny start shooting the gift, boy let me get shot, I won't even rip, <laughs> buddy buddy, don't you know you make me go nutty, I'm so glad that so then my question is, I, I have Three Feet High and Rising as my favorite, but but I think there are valid arguments for any three of the Prince Paul albums. Mm-hmm. Balloon Mindset is your favorite. We've both nominated Three Feet High and Rising this season, and I still think that's the right pick. Micaiah, how do you feel about Three Feet High and Rising making our list? No, I feel I feel good about it. it. It is leaning into kind of it is kind of more of a consensus pick, but I do think it's the right pick, and I think that it's for all the reasons that we talked about. You know, for 1989 being the year that it was for hip hop, and for all of the what it says about you know the industry changing and people from outside of hip hop finally looking at hip hop as like, hey, that's a commodity and there's money there. Mm. You know, so it really changes hip hop in a number of ways. Yeah. But, you know, so um, there's like all of those commercial aspects of it, of the success, but also, you know, the consequences of success, uh, which all, you know, and, but I mean, most, but most importantly, it's the way it shifted culture or at the very least, you know, represented a culture you know, that was not represented. Of course, hip hop culture, black culture, of course, had been represented, but the type of person and the type of people and the type of ideas and the fashion and the hair. I mean, like this is something that had been just underrepresented. And that alone is is very important. And um and so I just don't think that the other albums have quite the cultural impact as Three Feet High and Rising, even though it does, you know, we would just be falling into like the first one's the best one. Um, I'm, I'm still comfortable saying the Three Feet High should be on the list, even if I think De La Soul is dead, should also be on the, could reasonably be on the list for all the opposite reasons, basically. <laughs> because it's them just like dealing with that and undoing that. And then balloon mind state, you know, it might blow up, but it won't go pop. You know, just being like, you know, I that that's the thesis statement of that album. Yeah. 
Uh, and I don't know. I just, I love De La Soul. Any three of them would make me happy. I'm just glad that these songs and these records are available and that we got to talk about them today. So I, I'm, I'm good with Three Feet High and Rising being on there. I will be interested to see where it falls at the end of the season because we're getting to that point now. We have like five or less albums where we're going to have to do really something terrible. And that is rank our first set of 75 albums. Yeah. I'm, I'm so not where it's going to place. I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. Um, I'm having a De La Soul year, so I'm predicting it'll be in the top 50. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm, but again, I think because of the access we have now to De La Soul's catalog and because of kind of this Renaissance, the Renaissance that has accompanied that, mm-hmm. um, Look, I, I could see De La Soul making top 30. So I would love to see it. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. But listener, what do you think? Did we get this right? Is Three Feet High and Rising the best De La Soul album? Is it the one you'd put on the list? Would you put a De La Soul album on the list? Let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at You Forgot One on Twitter or what is now X at You Forgot One Pod. <laughs> Such ridiculousness. But Micaiah, uh, you don't have to change the name of a social media site. How about this? For anyone who is listening on whatever platform with whatever name they are, what should they do? Well, you should like, follow, subscribe to the podcast, whichever it tells you to do. Um, so whenever we release new episodes, they're just, they download ready for you to, you know, to listen whenever they drop. Also, it'd uh, be great if you feel so inclined to leave a five-star review. You can do one better than you can write a review so we know what it is that you're enjoying and it helps other people find the show. Also, we haven't done this. We we have some stuff going on and, you know, we should, you know, we, we've been taking some time off in between episodes and we haven't really apologized for it, but you and I actually have some stuff to plug. Yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll go first, Rob. Um, I say that I've been a contributing writer for the for Bandbox. Mm-hmm. They release um, records, fun color variants. Then with each record, they release a, a fanzine. And I recently wrote something for uh, Bright Eyes about um, Noise Floor, their compilation, and also from uh, my favorite Yola Tang album. And then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. I got to write about that record, and those are available now at the bandbox website for people to purchase and rob you have something exciting going on as well yeah well actually two things you know we haven't actually addressed this on the podcast um in july at the beginning of july uh, we have talked about this over the three years of the podcast that um that my profession my day job uh, has been as a pastor um but in july at the beginning of july i stepped away from pastoral ministry for the first time in 17 years and uh uh kind of enjoying a sabbatical at the moment and trying to figure out what comes next and in the meantime i have launched a new podcast called generous orthodoxy so if you like conversations around the intersection of culture history politics and religion Uh, I want you to go and check out Generous Orthodoxy, and that is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look at us. Yeah. 
doing new things all the time. Well, Micaiah, I want to leave our listeners and I was going to say, Hey, let's leave them with a track from this album. But I actually love that you brought up the performance that Dela did this year on Jimmy Fallon's late night show with the roots or actually uh, the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon with the roots. And so uh, instead of leaving you with a track from this album, we're going to leave you with the live performance De La performing with the roots on the tonight show. And we'll see you next week. Performing the title track to their classic album. Stakes is high. Once again, De La soul and the roots. Let's go. Let's go. Suave and supreme, accountable tones blow upstream. We run lyrics, lyrics that stay loyal, and all lunatics are the hicks to our soil. We are gods and not goddess, but we are gentle and modest. We are here for you. We are De La Soul with the legendary Roots crew. Stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. And when we say vibe, we want y'all to your vibrations. Come on, stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. And when we say vibe, we want y'all to say vibration. Stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. The instamatic focal point, bringing damage to your bubble. Be some brothers from the east with the beast that be thorough. From solar gravitation, and we're bound to pull up. We get down like brothers are found, ducking from bullets. Gun control, using both hands in my land. And it's all about cautious living and migrate too. Higher for my consequence. Compliments of struggling. Shouldn't be notable. Every word said be hip hop. I'm sick of y'all shaking asses. Sick of talking about blood. Sick of Versace glasses. Sick of slang. Sick of half ass award shows. Sick of and name brand clothes. And all these Jones with their half ass tracks. Cocaine and crack. Bring sickness to black. Sick of forehead rappers and they sickin' and rap. Clappers and gas, making a whole sick world collapse. The facts, getting sicker, even sicker, perhaps. I sick a bush to make a brother to escape the synapse. See, life can't get all up in your ass. Baby, you better organize. And let me tell you what it's all about. Skin not considered equal. Uh. A meteor has more right than my people. Wasting time screaming who they hated and why them made the tongues was officially reinstated. Come on, y'all. The same vibrations. Come on, stay the side. Listen, why don't you give it a try? When we say bye, we want y'all to say louder. Stay the side. Come on, we can do it. We can do it. It's about loving of cars, loving of funds, loving to love mass sex, loving to love guns, love for opposites, love for fame and wealth, and love for the fact of no longer loving yourself. We living in the days of the man-made way see. Every aspect is vivid. These brothers no longer talk. And yo, these brothers live it. About to give it 24-7 on a microphone. Plug one, translate in the zone. And no offense to a player, but we don't play. And if you take offense, it gotta be that uh. way. And my man Black Hawk got What's something up? to What's say. See, Jesus make the figures at a high regard. And people dying for it nowadays ain't hard. Uh, Investing in fantasies and not God. But welcome to reality. See, times is hard. People want to snatch a credit, but can't claim the car. Throw it out a video. Saying they coast gone. See things like that'll make your mama cry. Better watch the way you spend it, cause them stakes is high. You know what I'm saying? is high. When we talk about the vibe, we want y'all to say vibrations. Come on, stakes is high. 
You know them stakes is high. Come on, man. I think smiling in public is against the law because love don't get you through life no more. So you know how you, son, and how you getting in and who the man holding each other and how was the skins. What a high, what a pop. I heard you call the body. Seem like every man and woman shares a life with John Gotti. But they ain't organized. Mixing crimes with life enzymes. Taking the big scout route. Copping out better than they know their daughters and their sons. And so people go through pain and still don't gain positive contact. Just like my main man who got others filling up his physical influence. His mind got congested. He got a nine and blew it. Neighborhoods are now hoods. Because nobody's neighbors, just animals. Surviving with that animal behavior under eye. Who be rocking from dark to light sky. Experiments with needles and skin connects. No matter if you don't understand where we're from, they're called the projects, because when the stakes is high, they'll damn sure try to do anything to get a piece of the pie, electrify, even die for the cash. But at last, we be out. Even though you wanting more, this issue is closed like an elevator door, but soon we open once we get to the next floor. made us who we are today, you know, fighting for our music, fighting for our legacies. 